about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, a massive crowd gathered outside the synagogue to hear him speak. Like any crowd, they were coming from many different places and many different perspectives. Young and old, men and women, rich and poor. But every person in that crowd had this one thing in common. They were tired. Tired of life. Tired of religion. Tired of waiting. And so he looked out upon this multitude of people who were scared, confused, and tired. And he told them, come to me. And that offer still stands for every one of us. Come to Jesus. All who are tired, all who are hurting, all who feel unworthy, all who feel unloved, all who have nothing left to give, come to Jesus. Bring your burdens, bring your fears, bring your biggest regrets and your worst mistakes. Bring your broken dreams and your painful disappointments. Bring your chains and bring your addictions. Bring it all and come to Jesus. Because He will receive you and He will redeem you. He will love you and He will lead you. He will accept you and forgive you. He will guide you and comfort you. He will care for you and watch over you. He will transform you and sustain you. So all who are weary, all who are lost, all who are tired, come as you are. Come to Jesus. How many of you believe this world would be a better place if everybody would just come to Jesus? Come to Jesus. Well, this is our next to last uh, message in the series on the problem of evil. And I want to give a little uh, promotion for next week. We'll finish the series with a guest speaker. Glenn Reynolds will be here next Sunday. You will not want to miss his message entitled, How to Survive the Worst, and talks about lessons that he's learned through the journey of life they've been on. Glenn is a great communicator. He's a credential holder, minister, and an attorney, and um, been a good friend for a lot of years. Some of my best friends have come out of arguments, so he's another one of those. So um, come bring a friend, it'll be a great day uh, next Sunday. The question of the problem of evil is simply, why does God allow evil to happen? If God is so powerful, why doesn't he stop evil from happening? In the first week we talked about justice, that none of us want a transactional relationship with God. If we get what we deserve and everybody get what they deserve, there'll be nobody left. Then we talked about the nature of free will the gift that God gave us and the responsibility that we have to steward it and the consequences that come with it. And then week three, sowing and reaping, that sin opened the door, but we sow and reap what we sow, but we also reap what others are sowing around us. So this week, I wanna change the direction slightly and talk about what is the believer's response what should be the believer's response to the problem of evil in this world? And I may say some things this morning that you'll find a little controversial, and I just want you to relax and know that I'm okay with what I'm gonna say. <laughs> because sometimes I think Christians mistake grace and love for excuse-making, and empowering people to do the wrong things. Loving people does not mean you become an enabler of their sin. And I'm hearing from the body in this series, several people have talked about the issues and how it seems to be there are subjects we've touched on that people are afraid to respond to. And I'm just gonna tell you what I think. I don't think we should be at all um, uncomfortable to simply say what the Bible says. And if we don't say all of the counsel of God in his word, we're failing in our stewardship. How many would agree with me on that? Good, I've got four. We can keep moving forward this morning. Thank you. 
Sometimes when we talk about people who have sinned or done wrong, we just simply say, well, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for them, as though that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. When in fact, God is calling us to do more than simply pray for people that are struggling. But sometimes God is challenging us to confront the evil and suffering in the world. And rather than saying, I will pray about it to be the answer to those prayers. James wrote, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you say to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And James uses that in a positive way, but I think it's also fair to say that also applies in our response not only to the need around us, but to the evil around us and the role the church should play. I often hear people tell me that the church should stay out of politics. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you want a godless, atheist, church-absent government? Or do you want a government that is led and inspired and shaped by people of faith? I listened to a podcast this last week when people say that uh, we weren't built on Judeo-Christian ethic. I listened to a podcast of, I forget the number, is 50 or 75 or 100 verses that had been gathered that were used publicly in the forming of our constitutional republic. It was common for Scripture to be cited and responded to even by those who did not personally claim faith, had respect for, and a reliance on the principles that were expressed in God's Word. And we need to return to that. Not just the feel-good prosperity, God will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, but what is our responsibility in the world around us when we as a church look at the evil that's happening around us? Rather than saying, God, why aren't you doing something? I think it's fair for God to say to us, why haven't you done what I commanded you to do? Don't worry, I'm not going to encourage you to take up arms, pitchforks, and torches. But I do think we have a responsibility to respond in a biblical way. And what is that? Number one, God has called the church to confront the evil that's in our world. Not to coexist with the evil in our world, but to confront the evil that's in our world. Pastor, how do you define what evil is? I'll tell you what I, how I define it. I don't define it by what is legal or acceptable or commonly practiced or defended by atheist godless teaching. I defend right and wrong by the guidebook that I've built my life upon, and that is the Word of God an objective standard for what is true, what is right, and what is honest. And when you say to me, you don't have the right to impose that on government, I'm saying to you, you do not have the right to restrict me from my influence on government. And I will have a voice, and the church should be that voice. We have been browbeat into a corner believing in the separation of church and state. And I want to remind you again that the separation of church and state was not intended to protect the government from religious intrusion. It was intended to protect the church from government oversight so that we would have a free, clear voice. And I would challenge you this morning to reclaim that voice, to reclaim that position, and be that voice in our communities that confronts the evil around us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. The King James says, Reprove them. Weymouth translation says, set your faces against them. Young's literal translation says, convict them. The idea being we are not just to expose them, but confront them and let the world know that we are forcefully opposed, set like a flint against the evil that's going on in our world. The church should be sounding the voice against human trafficking. The church should be sounding the voice against immorality the ungodliness should be sounding the voice 
against child abuse, against theft, against uh, all of the list of sins that could be cataloged this morning. We should sound it loudly with the intent of exposing, convicting, and setting our faces against it. You see, the Bible tells us that we are the light of the world. What does light do? Light doesn't only expose what is healthy and hopeful and glorious and good. It also exposes what is evil and dark and wicked. When we first went to a previous pastorate in a town north of here that has a university... There was a daycare in the building. And I'm, I'm not opposed to daycares. I'm just opposed to daycares that run churches. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. And when you walked in the door in the lobby, you could smell, I'm not making this up, sour milk and dirty diapers. How many of you do not want to walk in this church and smell sour milk and dirty diapers? How many of you that are working in promised land don't even want to smell that? I mean, we don't, that's repulsive. Now watch, when I went down the stairs to the basement and the lights were off, everything looked okay. Hello? Because I couldn't see anything. And then you flipped on the light and it showed the things that were healthy and the parts of the building that were taken care of. But as I walked around, I found black mold growing in corners. I found places where milk had been spilled and not cleaned up. And I discovered in the light where the stink was coming from. Come on, help me this morning. The light does more than show you the flowers and the um, room, uh, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, um, that gives a good smell, but it also will show you where the brokenness is. We are the light of the world, which means we should champion those things that are good and celebrate them and let our voice be heard, but we should also be the watchman on the wall, the voice in the community that says, this is wrong and we are opposed to it. We're opposed to drunkenness. We're opposed to men beating their wives. We're, we're opposed to all of the things going on that destroy the culture and should not be ashamed of that. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Did you hear what I just said? Everyone that does evil hates the light. You can expect that evildoers in our world will hate us. It doesn't matter how many potluck dinners we do or what benevolence ministries we engage in. They're going to hate us because we stand in opposition to their evil deeds. And without light, there is no distinction between good and evil. Now, pastor careful, you sound kind of judgmental. Well, then I wasn't doing my job because I intended to sound very judgmental. <laughs> and I'm going to show you the biblical base for my judgmentalism. I told you, buckle in when you get on the ride. Here's what Paul writes to the Romans. I urge you, brothers, to watch for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way. Contrary to the teaching you've learned, keep away from them. Second Timothy chapter 4, in the word of God that endures forever, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord repay him for what he's done. I laugh when I read that. If I were to say, church, I just want you to know that so-and-so has done great evil to me, and I'm praying that God will reward him according to your works, you'd run me out of the parking lot. Where's your love? My love is, I don't want him to be destroyed by his sin. And if somebody doesn't confront it, then he'll continue without any conviction in his soul. 
First Timothy chapter 5, those who sin are to rebuke, be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. Second Timothy chapter 4, Demas. <laughs> Pastor Tim, you might have to bail me out, and um, I don't know what you'll do. Get a, get a song ready or a poem or something. Demas is in love with this present world and has deserted me. Can you, can you imagine what church would be like if we started off the service by identifying those that have walked away from God and walked away from the church, what that would do? I knew it'd be quiet. I just didn't think it'd be this quiet. I mean, is, am I reading to you the word of God or am I not? How many believe that Paul was right in what he says? How many believe we're accountable for all the word of God? You are aware of those who in Asia have turned away from me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, by rejecting this faith and a good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among our whom Hymenaeus and Alexander... And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I've said some things recently about some false prophets. Makes people uncomfortable. But I haven't even come close to the biblical language. Listen to this. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Their talk is like gangrene. There's just a simple overview of Paul exposing the darkness, saying this is wrong and these people are engaged in it and they cannot be affirmed. You see, I believe in church discipline and it's rarely practiced and it's difficult to practice church discipline. And, and here's a brief outline. It's not my sermon. Here's a brief outline. Church discipline is this way. Number one, you confront the evil. Number two, you isolate the evildoer within the body. Number three, if that doesn't work, you expel the evildoer from the body. And number four, if that doesn't work, you deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. As a church leader in various places, we've done all of those. And when you expel someone from the body... They need to be treated like a sinner, not given sympathy by the body. Why does that not work today? It's because we have churches all doing their own thing. I had a, someone call and doing an, a study on church discipline, asked me some questions. Let me give you a couple of examples on how this, why it doesn't work in our culture. We had a young man attending our church that was flirting around with a young lady, not the one I told you about the other time, but another one, and a different church, flirting around with a young lady, and I don't know that anything had actually happened, but we drew a line and said if he was going to be on the worship team, he had to quit taking her on dates. Is there anybody in the house? And he said, I don't have to, and I'm not going here anymore. And he left and went to another evangelical church. That pastor called me and said, is he under discipline? I said, he is. And they said, well, he'll never be used in our church until he comes back to you and resolves the issue. I said, I appreciate that. And then I discovered that two weeks later, he was on their worship team. Because we are governed by budgets and by attendance numbers and by public recognition rather than integrity to the word of God. We're to expose darkness, not accommodate it. We're to expose darkness, not enable it. We should be saying there's some things that are right, but in the word of God, there are some things that are wrong and we're going to point those out. So what should you do in that context? You know, what you, when you expose, listen to me carefully. When you expose the darkness, Romans chapter 13 tells us that you need to submit to the authority that's over it. You cannot be a lawbreaker and be an exposer. Come on. If you're going to expose the darkness, then you need to be doing everything in your power 
to do the things that are right with respect for authority. I don't, I don't think there should be, let me back up and come at it another way. I know that there are bad pastors, dishonest, personal gain, but I'm gonna tell you what I also know. The vast majority of people in ministry that I know personally love Jesus and are trying to do the right thing and are serving God with their whole heart, don't let one idiot color all the rest of those that are engaged in ministry. And I know there are bad cops. I know that there are abusive cops that take advantage of their power. But I tell you what, we had two of the Pleasant Hill police officers come in today and none of us had to worry what we were doing wrong. They wanted to be equipped if anything happened in this building and wanted to do a walkthrough of our building in the daylight. Because if you do a walkthrough of our building in the nighttime, it's like walking through a mouse's maze. And you know what I think? I appreciate that they want to be prepared to protect us. And those in authority need to be respected by the church, not mouthed off to by the church. Hallelujah. Don't worry, it'll get better after this. This is the last one I'm preaching on this subject. How'd we get into this? So you have to confront it. Number two, you gotta resist it. That's different. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. We should be resisting the progress of evil. We should be a hindering force in regard to evil. Grace will change your life, but it does not always erase the consequences of your choices. And we need to do more than expose evil. We need to publicly and intentionally try to resist it and stop it. Why do we give the Garden Gate Ranch? Because we want to resist the moving forward of evil. Why do, we, why do we invest in other social ministries in our community? Because we want to do more than say it's wrong. We want to do something that will slow the progress of evil, that will resist it and take a stance that we are publicly and financially, spiritually, and socially opposed to the darkness of our era. And I know right now this isn't a popular message, but I'm telling you we're in the mess we're in because the church has abdicated its responsibility and it listened to the train cars roll by their windows full of Jews going to gas chambers and saying louder so they wouldn't have to hear the train whistle. That's why the Holocaust happened. In addition to evil, the church was not the hindering force it should have been in those early days. How many are hearing what I'm saying? You have to hate it. You have to hate it. You have to hate evil. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Evil should be repulsive to us. <laughs> but you know what happens? It is nasty looking to you. It's repulsive to you until your children start doing it. Come on. You know what I'm telling is the truth. Or till a good friend at work starts doing it. Someone you're in close relationship with. And we've mistaken the adage, love the sinner, hate the sin. And we don't know how to do that. And so in order to love the sinner, we become soft on the sin to maintain the relationship. You have to hate the evil that they're doing. I watched what alcohol did to my family. I watched what drunkenness did to my father. And I will tell you, I'm not just, I am sympathetic to those bound by alcohol. But I hate those that, I hate the alcohol alcohol that they consume. I hate the industry that promotes it. I hate everything about it that's destroying families and homes. And I will be loud on that issue because I hate what it does. I hate what it does. Watching my dad lay in a barn, rolling in horse manure, 
trying to crawl out of his clothes, having no idea where he was, and we thought he'd had a stroke, only to find out he was stone drunk. My dad woke me up at two in the morning with a butcher knife and matches, going to blow up the truck that my mom was in the back of with her new boyfriend and said, I want you to see what kind of woman your mother is. And I had to stand there and separate the two of them until the police came and made them both leave. I'm telling you, I hate what sin does. I'm not just unkind toward it. I hate it. And there's something wrong with the church when we don't hate the evil that's happening around us. Love what is good, but abhor hate. And my prayer is, God, give us a righteous hatred to those things and spirits and forces that are destroying people in our world. Watch someone destroyed by meth addiction. You'll become a hater of recreational drug use. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Hate it. And I know it's hard to separate the two. I get that. But there are some people in the public sector that I hate everything they promote. There are some politicians that I hate everything they promote. I hate the promotion of abortion on demand that allows the slaughter of a baby seconds before it's born. I hate that. And if you get me in a political conversation, do you know what you're going to get out of me? You're going to hear my hatred rise to the surface when I talk about people that are rending babies limb from limb and destroying them because that is a human life. And I, I saw a post on Facebook that really got my attention and said, if we determine that life ends when a heartbeat stops, why can't we determine that life begins when a heartbeat when uh, when a when a heart stops? Why can't can't we believe that life begins when a heartbeat begins? And I'll be loud, and I'll be forceful, and I'll be passionate because I hate what sin is doing to people. I hate what it does. <laughs> so what would that mean? You got three guys here. I'll, I'll pick on you. I can say to someone, I hate everything you're doing, but I love you. What does love mean? It's a commitment to the well-being of another. I want to get you out of that garbage. I want to get you out of that filth, and you become the man of God that God wants you to be. Now, that does not apply to him. He's an illustration. I'm not <laughs> accusing him of anything. Do you see the difference? I can have a hatred toward what he's doing, and not loving him for what he's doing, but loving him for what Jesus could do for him. Commitment to his well-being. <laughs> Pastor, you sound upset. A little. We had a lady in our church that we pastored who was wicked. I got a phone call. She was sick, wanted me to pray for her, and uh, told me that her husband was home. I didn't have anyone to go with me. We had kids, Carol had the kids, so I thought, well, the husband's there. I'll drive there. And as I got there, uh, the mother was, mother was there, but the husband wasn't there. I was lied to. And the mother said, the woman's upstairs in her bed. She'd like you to come up and pray for her. And she has on her, uh, her sleeping clothes and laying in the bed and asked me to come in and lay hands on her. I didn't move inside the doorway. I said, Jesus can speak the word from here. As I'm praying, her husband comes up the steps and says, what are you doing in, in our bedroom? And I said, does it look like I'm in your bedroom? I've not been in your bedroom, and I will not go in your bedroom. How many can see after the fact that was a setup by an evil woman? She would bite her husband, kick her husband, act like everything was fine in public, and it went on and on, trouble that she was causing. And so as a board, we joined together to pray for her. 
and she had left the church, was unresponsive to leadership, and we prayed a prayer that delivered her over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that her soul would be saved and released that over her. Some weeks went by, some months went by. I'm sitting at a full gospel businessmen's meeting and the reason I went is because they had pie afterwards. <laughs> That's mostly true. And as I'm sitting at the table eating my pie, this woman walks in. She had a number of maladies, sores all over her mouth, couldn't eat or swallow. The doctor said, I have no way, I have no rationale for why this is happening to you. And she said she felt like God spoke to her. And she said, God told me to come and apologize to you and to the church and ask you to forgive me and pray for me. And we talked and I prayed for her. And within three days, all of the sores were gone. And her life was different. You can't do that by paying, playing patty cake with evil. <laughs> uh, might be smaller attendance next week. Come back and hear Glenn. <laughs> you have to hate it. And why do you have to hate it? Listen to me carefully. You need to hate it so that you don't become like it. If you don't hate it, you'll become like it. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Do not repay evil for evil. If you don't hate evil, you'll find yourself justifying harboring it. Resorting to evil will make you evil. So how could I illustrate that this way? My reaction to pain, um, uh, my reaction to pain done to me is anger. Does anybody share that reaction? It doesn't make me afraid. It really ticks me off. And so if you hit me or shove me, I'm not in the place of praying God's favor on you. The thought in my mind, if you hit me, is I'm going to hit you back harder. You hit me in the face, I'm going to punch you in the throat. I'm not suggesting I do that. Is there anyone else in the house? Or are you all so holy you never get mad at anybody? Oh, no, I've seen you in the lobby. Don't tell me that. <laughs> do you know what happens in that moment? You allow evil to take residence in you, and then you respond with evil, and you become like it. You cannot protect yourself from becoming like evil if you have sympathy toward it. You have to hate it so that you don't become like it, so that you don't become guilty of it. A man by the name of Philip Anderson was writing, discussing the various Disney villains. I found this interesting. Actually, he was discussing Maleficent. Evil, as the prophet John describes the dragon in Revelation, has many heads, many faces, many disguises, many aliases. Its appearance may be vicious as a dictator's brutality or as subtle as a moment's rationalization. Now listen to that. It can be as vicious as a dictator's brutality or as subtle as a moment's rationalization. Therefore, the first arena for any of us to be aware of its presence is in the recesses of our own heart. When we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that evil is both dreadful and fascinating to us. One little boy said to another, listen carefully when mom tells you not to do things. It will give you all kinds of ideas. <laughs> it is both despicable and fascinating. We have to guard our hearts. So the goal is to confront it, resist it, and then to defeat it. How do we defeat evil? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How many of you would agree with me that the word overcome means to win? Don't be overcome by it. Listen, I do not believe God is nearly as concerned what evil will do to you as what evil can do in you. 
We have to overcome evil with what? With good. Good are our tactics. Don't be overcome by it. Evil wins when you embrace it, even in resisting. Don't um, then live contrary to it. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Love in spite of it. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And fourth, trust God in it. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. But when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate, but he suffered when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges rightly. Don't be overcome by it. Live contrary to it. Love in spite of it and trust God in it. Don't let it change you. That's how you will defeat it. Do good when it's not expected. Now, what about Jesus? How did Jesus respond? I read where he kicked over tables in the temple and swung a whip. I read where he called the Pharisees a generation of snakes, hypocrites, whitewashed sepulchers. The love of Jesus did not restrict him from calling out their sin. But when a prostitute walked in the room and anointed his feet with the alabaster box and, and washed them with her tears, wiped them with her hair, what was Jesus' response to her? He didn't need to call out her sin because in that moment, she was ready to experience his love. And that's our call. Evil is destroying lives and we need to take a hard stance and call it out. But the best way to overcome evil is to reach those bound by it and see them delivered from the evil that is destroying them. How many of you believe that God is a deliverer? We're to take the gospel to every creature, to all the world, to all the lost. I talk sometimes about spiritual warfare, and I remember a young couple that came, and I thought, how in the world, how in the world are they going to get discipled? They were as out there as anyone you could meet, doing drugs, reading medicine cards, not going to be bound by social constraint, living in a trailer without electricity. I think they might have had water. And uh, just because this was her, uh, this was her, um, uh, her, her presentation, she was growing a little bit of a beard and proud of it and was never going to take a man's name and adversarial to anything to do with the gospel. And they knew where I stood. I got to meet him at a music store where we were buying equipment and we bought some equipment so I could go down and build a relationship and share Jesus with them. And I was Chi Alpha director at Iowa State and he came to one of our Chi Alpha nights and we had him help us with a mime presentation and had him be the sinner. He repented at least 12 times that night. And then the time came that they came into my office. They were going to in a situation where they were afraid for their lives and asked Jesus, to come into their hearts. She wanted to make a public confession of that on Sunday morning, and I had planned to give an altar call for salvation, and she came to the fort and knelt at the altar, and as she began to pray, she began to howl like a, like a wolf. I mean, it was a, that's a little disconcerting during the prayer time. I said, God, what do you want me to do? I mean, I could make a spectacle and and he said, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. 
And all you need to do right now is speak my word. And without a voice out loud standing behind her, I took authority over that demon spirit and commanded it to go. And when I did, she broke on the altar, began to weep and cry, and God did a work of deliverance. And after that, all the evil began to be purged out of them because the best way we're gonna overcome evil is by winning men and women, boys and girls to Jesus Christ. Do you want to see lives change? Do you really hate evil? Then get people in this building. Get them in your community group, your connect group. Get them in relationship where you can tell them about Jesus. Is anyone hearing me? Because that's the battleground. It doesn't matter if we stop all the expressions of evil if men and women, boys and girls, don't find Jesus as Lord and Savior. How many are with me this morning? If you hate evil, you'll be passionate about evangelism. God help us to fight the evil by being loud about the gospel. Would you stand with me, please? In this time of desperation All we know is doubt and fear only one foundation we believe we believe in this broken generation when all is dark you help us see there is only wasn't going to do this, wasn't going to say this, and I'm not saying this for any sympathy. I have, my wife will probably not be happy with me sharing this, but I have a condition that occurs sporadically. It's called preventricular contractions. It's, a, it's an accelerated, it's like when your car engine misses. When it hits, it's debilitating. I have to get in a chair, and there are things I do to try to correct that. It's taken me out for up to 48 hours. I got up this morning at 4, 5.30 with my heart out of rhythm. And I thought, God, you've given me a message. I'm not gonna let the devil take this away. And when I said, when I said during communion, his blood brings our healing, I felt God touch me. And right now my heart rate is normal. And I say that for this, the healer's in the house. And if you are bound by sin, if you're bound by an addiction, if the devil is destroying you and beating you up, you can stay in the recliner of your affliction or you can stand up and say, Jesus, I refuse to be bound by the power of the enemy. And I don't know what that is, and I did not plan to give a confrontational kind of altar call, but if there is some kind of bondage in your life, whatever it is, it could be drugs, alcohol, temper, anger, pornography, it could be just laziness that binds you, it could be anything, and you don't wanna be bound, I'm gonna ask you to do a bold thing. I'm gonna ask you to step out from where you are because the deliverer is in the house this morning and he wants to set you free. If you're experiencing any kind of bondage in the balcony, on the main floor, in the chapel, if you're watching this online right now, just stand up where you are. I want you to come forward right now from where you are. I believe the healer's in the house. The deliverer's in the house. 
He's here to set you free. The devil's not going to keep you in that bondage that he has put you in. He's going to set you free this morning. And you have to claim that and walk in it. You have to hate the bondage. And if you hate the bondage, the love of God will be your deliverance. God's in the house this morning. People are still coming. I'm going to wait. They're coming down from the balcony. I believe this should be a miracle liberation Sunday this morning. I believe that God wants to do something special in this place. Now, those of you that come forward, I need you to move forward and give some space behind you. And I want as many of you as will to come and gather around them and begin to lay hands on them and pray for them that that bondage that the devil has kept them in, it can be anxiety. It can be fear. It can be doubt. It can be unforgiveness. But Jesus is here to break that bondage and liberate you and set you free. Come on, lift your hands right now and begin to ask him for that deliverance that comes in Jesus' name. Lord, we're coming in faith. We're coming in trust. We're coming in confidence. We hate that thing that's keeping us in bondage. We hate that thing that's keeping us in bondage. And we're believing you for your love and your grace and your deliverance and your freedom. Come on, church. Cry out to God this morning. There are miracles happening in this place. I, I, I speak healing over you. I speak Jesus over you. I speak deliverance over you. I speak freedom over you in the name of Jesus. Reach out by faith and grab hold of that and claim that in the name of Jesus right now. In the name of Jesus right now. Claim that. Lay hold of that. Come on. Lay hold of that. Believe for deliverance in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Yes. Your name, Your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Oh, I speak Jesus, yeah. your name is power, your name is healing, your I want to tell you one more story. A lady who regularly attended Berean walked into my office and pronounced a curse over me. She said, God says, I have broken your right arm. I will break your left arm and you will never pick up your sword again. And I looked at her and said, you lying foul spirit walk out of this office without saying a word and never come back in this building or I will personally throw you out. Do not come in. People in the office felt a cold wind as she walked out the door. Now, I know what that curse meant and I know what's happened in my life, but I thought as she left, whatever happens around me, the devil is never gonna make me put down my sword because whatever happens, if I fall, if I fail, how many believe in the God of a second chance, the God of deliverance, the God of a new day? You lying spirit, you are not taking the sword out of the hands of these children of God. Be gone in the name of Jesus and liberation flow in this place. Come on, there's a stronghold that needs to come down. Let's believe your name God is power. It. Yes. Your name is healing. Your name is love. Lord, break every stronghold. Break every
if you don't hate the bondage, you will stay enslaved by it. If it's unforgiveness, you have to hate unforgiveness. If it's bitterness, you have to hate bitterness. If it's some kind of sin, as long as you're sympathetic toward it, you will not be free from it. You have to love what is good and hate what is evil. And I believe that bondages have been broken, that chains have been shattered. And when David won a victory in the Old Testament, it says that David's triumph, that's not a motorcycle, is his victory. David's triumph was heard throughout the land. And I want all of Pleasant Hill right now to hear a shout of praise, a shout of triumph. Come on, a shout, a shout in the house of God. Now walk in it. It's yours. Own it and walk in it. And there'll be victory in the house of God and in your life. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you. Greet somebody, hug their neck, encourage them before you go today. Be a blessing to someone.